Hi, everybody. This is Nancy Miller for My Creative Life, the podcast about creatives, how and why they make the work that they do. And today um, I'm going to speak about the topic about why, in my opinion, art teachers make good um, art business owners and freelancers. So I feel like when I've looked back and I kind of reflect on this past year or so year and a half since I finished graduate school, and then I also thought about um, I'm on my 13th year of teaching art for K through 12. Um, actually, I teach K through 8 right now, but I'm certified K through 12 in the state that I live in. So when I went back into teaching, I kind of realized like, oh, you know, there were all these things that I've learned that I've automatically been applying into my art um, business. And it's been just kind of seamless. And I was really shocked. And I'm kind of like, wow, why why do am I better at this this second time going around versus 15 years ago? And I was working in-house as a um, designer in advertising. I mean, like, what am I doing different? And why have, do I feel like I'm more successful at it? I mean, and it's always an ongoing process of making improvements. But I kind of came up with this list of this top five. So one of the things that I reflect back on when I first started teaching elementary art, and this is over like 15 years ago when I first started out, uh, number one, I feel like resourcefulness. If you are any kind of teacher in public education, you are really resourceful, um, especially art teachers. Um, what I mean by resourceful was and by no means am I complaining at all about what I didn't get or what I did get. Um, it's all benefited me in my art business. So it was a good thing. So because I was resourceful, okay, so I had, um, I was in a um, public elementary school teaching art to students that I loved, loved my um, administrators and all that good stuff. Um, my budget was $150 for the entire school year. And a little over 400 students. So that had to really stretch. There was absolutely no more money after that was gone. Um, so because I was resourceful, number one, I just got really kind of brave. I would go to local businesses and I would ask them, do you have any cardboard? So like I went to Home Depot and these also could be hacks for if you're an art teacher starting out and you're trying to, you know, get supplies for your art room. So number one, I went to local businesses. Um, they're very friendly to any kind of teacher in their community. Um, so the first thing I um, needed cardboard for a project. So I went to Home Depot. Um, if you catch them on a day when they don't have everything crushed down, they will just load your car up with whatever boxes you want. Number two, um, I also went to um, local grocery store Publix. I asked them because I wanted to do printmaking with the students. So I asked, did they have any styrofoam meat trays that they weren't, you know, that were still clean? Um, the butcher gave me a stack of those and I went back and used them with my students. Um, I just have learned, like you start looking around in your community, like where are they, like some supplies that can cross over into, you know, recycled materials. I, I would also ask parents to save things, you know, um, I just became a little bit of a, you know, just, hey, if you have toilet paper rolls that you're saving or paper towel rolls at home that we can use to make something out of, um, 
people were very willing to help out. And I found that um, if they didn't want to do it, they just don't do it. Or, yeah, so that that's kind of something that I realized that if somebody wants to help you out and you ask, and it's a reasonable ask, and especially when I learned it was for my students, I was much more enthusiastic. I could share with them by, we're going to use this for X, Y, Z in the classroom, yada, yada, yada. Um, another thing besides being resourceful, I kind of realized like there were things that I could do within my little school that would help me add to the, you know, the money that I could use for my art supplies with students. So I held a summer art camp and I basically worked for free for a week. Um, and then I charged like $35 per students and um, for the week to come in and you got a week of art and it was a lot of fun. Um, those funds went into, rolled into my art budget. So it was kind of like I learned how to have to promote within my little sphere of like, I'm doing this art camp. I need to send out flyers. Anytime I talk to the PTA or other teachers or students uh, about this exciting event that I was having, I would let them know. So it was really helpful, you know. So I just learned that you can be very good at like, you know, in a positive way of saying, hey, um, I'm offering this. If you want to do it, you can come and do it and sign up for it. And learning processes about like, okay, if you're doing something like a camp and or an event, like how soon do you need to promote it so that people are aware of this event? Um, how are you going to get people to sign up? All these little um, administrative things. Um, how to put things in place because I was really the only one except for my lovely school secretary, Gwen. Um, she, oh, love that school secretary. She was amazing. But it was myself and the school secretary, um, basically, that would, you know, track all of that and get that, you know, taken care of. And also the bookkeeper, that was really helpful, too. So, um so it was kind of like this little chain that went along so that um, the students could sign up for it and parents could be aware of it. So, yeah, that resourcefulness really comes in handy. So now how does that work for my art business? Well, if people don't know that you make, you are an artist and that you have an art business, they, they're not going to find, I don't know. I think back on like how I got work you know, 15 years ago as a freelance illustrator, people just knew I worked in-house as a graphic designer. And so they would just ask me, oh, well, Nancy likes to draw, so let's just have her do it. So these things just kind of naturally came my way because I worked in um, print publications um, for a decade um, in-house. So those jobs just kind of came, or I could just go upstairs and show my portfolio to an art director or editor for the magazine. So those were really, um, like, it, it wasn't like a lot of work. And so now, though, we jump forward to this present time, and I feel like there are, I mean, there are a lot of people all, you know, vying for attention on social media or wherever. Um, you have to give yourself a voice to say, hey, I'm doing this. And then people are aware of, they associate, oh, Nancy is an illustrator with children's books, she makes pictures for books, and she's an art teacher. So those are the two things that I really want people to remember when they think about me. So 
I do things that tie into those and share the process. Any kind of tips or things that will make that easier, whether you're an art teacher or an illustrator um, working in uh, the picture books or children's literature, I'm happy to share. So, yeah, and anything, um, yeah, that works to benefit other people. I think that, um, yeah, being an art teacher, it was a lot of it was for, it's always for your students. So you, I just kind of took that model and said, oh, well, that's kind of the attitude I'm going to have going forward with my art career. So, all right, the number two, um, I feel like welcoming and in the sense of being an art teacher um, or any educator, um, it's very important to be welcoming in whatever, you know, wherever you teach, whether it's virtually or in person. So I was a very shy person. It's most people are really, Lord, you're shy. Um, so when I was working in-house as a graphic designer and so many years ago, I was just terrified of talking to people. <laughs> I just found it be like, I'm just going to hide behind my computer. And it worked. But then when things got offered to me that I wanted to do in my heart, but I I just couldn't bring myself like to talk to people about my artwork or draw in public. That just terrified me. And I got offered to do a book festival to be um, like a featured speaker. They were going to pay me all this and my travel expenses. And I just couldn't do it. And this was like 15, 20 years ago. And I I made up an excuse and said that it was busy. But a lot of it is just the terror. Um, so now going forward, I start being an art teacher the first time in an elementary school. And you are quickly realizing how many people you interact with on a daily basis um, when you go to open house. I think that realization, the first open house I did, I had over, had to have been over 400 people just like coming at you because they want to meet you. They want to like, you know, get to know you, their kids' teachers. And even though, you know, hey, we want to meet the art teachers too. We want to meet those specials teachers, your, your PE, music, STEM, uh, computer teacher, and we want to get to know them. So it was parents, students, no, not only those, but you're talking about uh, grandparents, aunts, uncles, siblings. So it was a really great little community school I was at. We had, I, for a better word, repeat customers because you had siblings. And, you know, we also like some of the teachers would be like, I taught that person's, that child's parents. You know, so it was really a very community, wonderful little school and um, you could develop long-term relationships with these families. And I love that. I still, to this day, I think that's one of the big draws for me. Being a K through five art teacher or K through eight, um, your specials teachers, which is what art, music, PE, and some of those other rotational um, extras, kind of like your little electives for elementary that your kids go to, we call them specials teachers. So um, are probably the longest teacher you will have in your academic career because some of them I even saw in pre-K. I had to, my youngest student was three years old. And so if you have them in the course of to fifth grade, I was like, I'm terrible at math, but seven or eight years. So relationships and being welcoming and realizing that that student will, will be 
in a big chunk of their academic career and to build those everyday relationships. It was, it was a lot of fun. And just watching them grow from a, somebody who is a wee little person up to a big fifth grader, that's a big jump and watching their abilities, their interests, and what they want to do in life. And, and the next thing, because I would work so hard to build these relationships, I found that um, kids came back, students would come back like years later, you know, they're in high school or even middle school and they want to share the artwork that they now do to encourage their younger siblings or, you know, just they just have warm feelings about the times that they had in my classroom and share that. It's like a huge. So for me, that's a huge honor. I feel like, wow, you you had such a great time in my classroom. So I think, wow, they're just a wonderful person, and I'm so glad I got to be part of your educational career. So I've applied that to my art business because I do things that tend to relate interpersonally with people. I feel like like online's great. I've met some wonderful people all virtually, but I feel like I love it when I get to connect with other creators and I get to learn from them um, about their process. So that's why I continue to do this podcast. So when I meet people in person or I talk to them on this podcast, I kind of want it to be conversational. I kind of want it to be like, I'm welcoming you into my art room and, um, you know, join me and let's have fun. And so I think that hopefully leaves people with a positive feeling about what they're doing and um yeah because I if I ask somebody to be on the podcast some of it is because they've done so much in their career they've accomplished so much but then other people I found that they're at the beginning of their career but they've already done other things that were so interesting to me and or they're doing something that I have never met somebody who does that particular thing in the arts or as a creator, basically. And so I find that fascinating because I go like, wow, in the trick, in the, you know, grand scheme of art, you're, you're somebody who chose that thing. And there's so few people who do that. And so that's really in itself an accomplishment to be, to think so differently, to, to go in a direction where few people have gone in. And so I find that really fascinating, like, you know, out of all the things that you could choose from. So, yeah, so that was number two, really, you know, being welcoming. So it's easier to relate and talk to people because I've had to do it so much as an art teacher. Um, okay, number three, um, this is always a big takeaway if you're getting um, a degree in art education. They always build this in. It's called a reflection. I don't know if they still call it this now in an art education program if you're if you're doing that. But it was always required that once you taught a lesson when you were student teaching, you had to reflect on it. You always had to do like a written statement of like, what is my takeaway? What could I have done better? How could I improve upon things? Um, I, yeah. And so I kept always doing that because, uh, teaching, I always feel like, um, is really about 
the acceleration of learning. People can generally learn things on their own, especially nowadays with all of the resources that are available online. Um, but you're you're trying to accelerate somebody's learning by showing them little strategies or things that they can do to make their comprehension better. So when I do my reflections, I would just go ahead and say, how could I deliver? And then the nice thing, because as an art teacher, um, it's like a repeat show. So it's like you're kind of doing, you know, that same lesson for that grade level. Like I would do it like five times a week. So what didn't work on Monday, I would reflect and then I would make changes. So that would be better on Tuesday. People who had that lesson by the end of the week, that was so much better for them because they were, you know, towards the tail end. And I kind of saw from what the reaction from the students, okay, what are they not getting? I need to make adjustments or how can I, um, my pacing, my timing and all that. So yeah, it's kind of a bit of a performance show. And so I now do that with my art business. So in I do this, um, what I realized is if you're an art business list, like you're an art teacher, you're like the one person doing a lot of this. So the reflection process I do is like I, and some of it's just based on my personal personality. I just go and I reflect, did that really feel like it fit me? Did I like doing it as far as when it comes to the work that I'm doing, how I'm putting my work out there, and then what were kind of the things, the takeaways that I got from it. And it's always interesting to me because like social media posts, like I don't really enjoy doing them. I do feel like that's part of what, you know, to get my work out there, you know. Um, but it's been interesting over the course of this past year, kind of looking at what people are interested in. So I found like if it's on Instagram, they tend to like it when I'm cutting or drawing things. Those get more interests. Um, it's a little bit less with the, like when I do, you know, I was surprised. I was like, oh, when I do like the little video pans over what I've built, I thought those would get more, you know, but over time, it's just been like a segment of what I'm making seems to draw people's attention. Um, also, when I reflect on things is um, because I've been doing school visits, I've done schools, libraries, and museums at this point, um, reflecting on how those visits went and how can I make that process more streamlined for whoever um, has invited me to their space, which is a wonderful opportunity to share what I do. So you know, that reflection time and also reflections on how I'm making things, I do have to kind of look and feel like, okay, what part of this process can I improve upon? Especially with the photography, and I'm constantly learning and getting better at it. Um, so that is a um, takeaway about reflections, um, about being an art teacher and being a freelancer. Um, the next one I would say is being a lear constant learner. So that's number four. You know, if you're an educator, you are constantly learning. They, whether you're in public, private, wherever, there are different workshops you're attending. There are all these different, you know, just because 
what is happening in the world is changing. So even as an art teacher, yeah, you teach drawing, painting, and things like that. Um, but having an understanding of like these other spheres of digital media and things that are being out there because, you know, the kids are being inundated with this and how does it influence them and their thinking? So I've always like felt like I was always learning stuff as a teacher. I really enjoy that. Um, there are challenges with that because sometimes the pace that you're learning at, you're like, whoa, this is a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, I found that really interesting. And so like I started podcasting because many, many years ago, um, because I wanted, you know, it was kind of becoming popular. And I'd heard, you know, on YouTube and things like that, people were going back to just uh, because of the multitasking aspect, you can listen to a podcast, you can do something else. Um, and I talked to my students and they said, oh, we we would love to do that. And I was like, really? So I had to learn how to use Adobe Audition. And then I had to learn how to set up a microphone because I, I was like, oh, I've never done this before. And so you are motivated to do things for your students because they're excited and they want to try it. And then I'm like, well, I want to try it too. And so it's that constant, like just, oh, how can I try this? Let me do this. Is this going to work? And, you know, you know, you just kind of go for it. And I feel like in education, there's always this, you know, it's kind of a little bit safer because it's education. We want students to learn or you're going to make mistakes and we're going to learn from that and uh, improve and get better at it. So I felt that mindset was very helpful when I did my art business because I was like, there was so much stuff I didn't know. There were so many things that I was not aware of, like, you know, like how to just yeah get a business license I decided because like later on I was like maybe I want to do a in-person art fair so in where I live I needed to get a business license so I could get the sales tax license I mean all these little things that um, you have to dig in and do research and they're not like researching how to paint something <laughs> but it was like the business side of it that I was like oh I want to learn more about this and having that kind of like constant thirst for knowledge and how to figure things out um and also like willing to learn things and know that it may not be something that you like to do um also yeah because as a art teacher I realized like oh there were certain parts of technology that I was interested in teaching the students but I realized like oh, I'm interested in using software to learn how to do some basics for a video game. But because I learned how to do some of the coding behind, I was like, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> I was like, that was not, it was really hard on the brain and it was just not my thing. But I did try it. And then within what I learned, I could kind of let the kids try and see if they liked it and uh, try it themselves. So yeah, it's really suited me like, um, then as I returned to school, graduate school, I was like, let me try this. And I was like, oh, I'm not good at this or my brain doesn't process. Like there were certain classes like animation and motion media. They were really hard for me. So with that takeaway, I was like, I tried it. Mm, it was not my thing. I think, you know, even when something's hard, you usually have some joy where you're like, oh, this is like, but I like the challenge and it was not happening with those things. 
So, but I'm not canceling that out because I still have hopes for stop motion is something that later on I want to try with cut paper. So those are things that piqued my interest. I'm glad I tried it. I figured out like maybe that's really not the direction I want to go in and that's okay. Um, I also learned from being a learner, there's the parts of taking those things that I wasn't good at and taking a motion media class or an animation class. It reminded me of what it's like to be a learner who is struggling and a learner who um, doesn't get everything right away. You know, in a drawing class, I felt really comfortable. But then if you put me in a situation where I have to animate things or I'm doing motion media, I really started feeling and understanding the where a student who comes to you and says, I really don't understand that. And in, and that they genuinely may not understand. And, you know, kind of like, how does that person feel? And what are they going through? Because it is a bit of a bravery to come to, you know, if you're in college or something like that, or even in high school, and you say, I didn't understand anything you were talking about, you know, because nobody wants to be feel like they're called out. And then when you have a student who does that privately with you, you go like, I, I feel your pain and then you can relate and then you can say, well, going forward, we can address it like this and make sure that you do get that, you know, feel like you get a sense of what the content is about. Because like I said, the purpose of education or teaching somebody is the acceleration of learning. So, and getting that feedback from the learner that they're not understanding is really invaluable. It's really important. So so yeah, being a lifelong learner is really helpful because like what I realized like um, compared to 15, 20 years ago when I was freelancing, once you stopped freelancing and then I went into teaching full time, it was like a wall went down and it was like that sphere of that, you know, industry just kept moving on and pushing forward and you're, you know, it just evolves and the same thing happens in education as well, what students are learning, how it's being delivered. Um, you're learning new methods and models for how to deliver something. So it really does um, become very helpful getting used to that, you know, kind of changes that are constant. Um, the last thing I'm going to talk about is kind of ties into resourcefulness, um, but it's about budgeting. So how did that help as an art teacher and as a freelance artist? Okay, so as a art teacher, and this is not so much dealing with my budget for my art supplies. This is actually had to do with how I got paid as an art teacher. So in the county that I worked at, and this is also, it, this varies. Um, some teachers get paid bi-weekly. Where I taught at, it was once a month. So with getting paid once a month, I learned to very quickly budget. Like it was like, oh, I went from being um, in-house graphic designer, getting paid every two weeks to once a month. And so I quickly had to learn how am I going to get this to work? How am I going to budget and not run out of month by the money by the end of the month? So like a lot of people just, you know, finding those, um, budget calculators or worksheets online and then I wrote down everything that my expenses that were going out 
And then I just got used to getting paid once a month. So how is this helpful? Well, as a freelancer, money does not always, for me, now for other people, they may be getting like able to really regularly get paid, but in my experience, it's just very irregular and it's not like you're going to necessarily get paid bi-weekly unless you're working in-house somewhere. So I quickly had to learn how am I going to budget to be able to have um, time to do my freelance work. And so it was quickly realizing, well, there's more than one way I can, you know, split up my time to bring in money that is going to pay. And so you know, having um, my online digital resources that I sell for art teachers, that's something that kind of goes on in the background. And then I also have my in-person teaching, which is regular. That's always really helpful to have regular income. And then some other things that I do as, as a virtual assistant, that income coming in regularly too. Um, and then it allowed me to say, okay, I have this general amount of income coming in, and then it allows me the flexibility to say, okay, I'm going to take a gamble and say that the you know freelance art business making things and then putting it out there to be pitched and sold. I think it's really hard for sometimes people to understand like... Um, you know, like, oh, like, oh, you're, you're kind of doing this and then you're not, you know, getting paid for it. Well, as an art teacher, I did a lot of stuff. <laughs> we just, we do a lot of stuff and you don't get paid for it. You just kind of, you do it because you really want your students to have um, an amazing experience. So if what I did, you know, extended beyond my contracted hours, I knew that, well, the payoff was going to be, I'm going to make a lot of little students happy because like, like a school-wide art show that I would put on once a year, that was going to extend beyond the contracted hours that I had as an art teacher. So I really had to um, figure out, like, okay, how am I going to make this happen? Anyways, and it was always wonderful. I was always really thrilled with the end results. It was really worth it. Um, so, yeah, I think it's understanding that I'm going to put a lot of time into making my book dummies, writing my stories, and reworking them until they get to the point that it can be um, sold uh, or put out there or go out on submission with my agent. So I think, you know, it's been, you know, knowing that it's given me that safety net of saying, okay, I've got XYZ coming in about this amount. And I do like a monthly uh, profit and loss statement. Uh, so then I kind of know like, okay, what did I, you know, because especially expenses, those things that you're using to produce what you're making, however you do that, can start adding up, especially as a traditional artist. Um, yeah, paper's still going up, inflation prices and all that. I've noticed that, especially with my art supplies, I also buy things in bulk. <laughs> so that's also like, if it's not a good deal, I'm buying like balsa wood, like in nobody's business because, you know, at Hobby Lobby, it was like 70% off. And I'm like, wow, that's an amazing deal. So let me get like 10 sheets of that. So I think those things have been really helpful for me to be, you know, kind of like to keep things in the black and then I'm not running into the red. If I'm running into the red, then next month I know I need to be very mindful of my spending because 
I have to pay my taxes at the end of the year, you know, and all of that great stuff. Um, definitely um, being conscious of, you know, having, keeping my overhead as low as possible, and then I can make a profit for the freelance stuff because, yeah, yeah, all of that has been extremely helpful. So, yeah, that, that life experience was has been definitely helpful in how I run my business as a freelancer. So anyways, um, I just wanted to share, those are my top five things. Um, there are definitely more things that in terms of running an art business, um, that are things that are helpful to make it more successful that, you know, parallel with being an art teacher, I would love to hear, you know, um, Anything else that I may have forgotten to mention, it's always great to hear from people um, what their thoughts were about an episode and if that resonated with them. I really appreciate it. Um, I um, also, side note, um, the podcast has reached over 10,000 listens, so I'm grateful that um, people find find something helpful or, you know, beneficial to them for listening. Uh, that's the end goal for this is just to hopefully make people feel a little less alone that the, you know, and to be a little bit more honest about these are the things that um, people do go through as a freelancer. Because I felt like a lot of things we focus so much on, oh, this is great stuff. This is great stuff. This is you know, and then the nuts and bolts of things that are not as pretty to look at and that but they're really necessary. They're um, a big part of having a um freelance business and yeah and uh yeah keep making keep uh, illustrating and keep creating all right thanks for listening bye